Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it, we back it. Welcome back to Reignite. This is Anya Kerr. We've all followed the drama of those Dragon's Den scenes when someone with an idea tries to persuade an intimidating row of investors to part with their money, followed by a round of intensive questions. But how do you get in the room with an investor in the first place and what happens after you get that first meeting? Joining us now is former Dragon businesswoman, publisher and broadcaster Nora Casey and investment associate with Act Ventures, Connor Mills. Nora, set the scene a little bit what work needs to be done by people before they even think about sending that email to an investor to try and pique their interest great question because actually everyone thinks that once they've got the idea they should be sending me an email and probably um connor too to say and have a great idea can i have investment but actually that's the very first step like you have to if you have a great idea and loads of people do especially now in the pandemic they've loads of time and they're thinking about all these crazy things i'm at the receiving end of a lot of them you really have to go out there and find out you know first of all has anybody else had that idea you know i can't tell you how often people have told me about a great online pizza delivery company and you're like okay there's a million of them out there so find out what your competitors are. They're never where you think they are. Then you have to find out, do people want it? I had a guy in recently in his 40s and he wanted me to invest in, of all things, a range of pink lensed sunglasses. And I said, who do you think is going to buy that? And he said, well, I love them. It's never about what you love, you know, and, and actually it's not his age group that would like, I don't know who would like pink lens sunglasses, but definitely in the teenage space more likely. And they have no money. So secondly, find out if customers want it. Great ideas aren't great unless somebody wants to buy them. And then you have to find your niche. I had this great woman once and she had an idea to bring in man-made gems. She thought it was a fantastic idea. And by the way, it isn't a bad idea. But once she went out there, she discovered there's a gazillion people in that space. But she then honed it down into, I'll do man-made diamonds. And I said, that's not specific enough. And she discovered through all this market research that actually there were two great categories. One was women who wanted diamonds that looked like their flashier friends who had the real ones. And secondly, women who coming out of the last recession couldn't afford to keep those rocks and wanted them replicated. So she set up a very strong niche business. The most important phase, I cannot stress this enough, it's called the big test. Uh, For people like me, we call it proof of concept. That doesn't matter how great your idea is or how well you've tested it, you know, if people want to buy it, if you've got all your competitors mapped out. If you cannot make a single cent selling a cup of coffee as a barista in Galway, you do not have a viable business. Everybody misses the phase. It's the most important thing and it's about the midway point. So you have to do proof of concept. You have to prove you can sell something at the right price that customers will want to buy. Then it's a viable business. The second half of all of that, Anya, is the most boring, you know, architecture, all the P's, product price, placement, promotion, producing a strategy, producing a business plan. The very last thing after you go through all of that is to sit in front of somebody like me and say, please invest in my business. (laughs) I know it sounds boring, but unless you, you have to be very disciplined and, you know, at the same time, I say to everybody, if at some point during that journey you discover that it's not working, you have to be confident enough to fail. My old chairman, no longer with us, used to say to me, if you fail, fail fast. Don't be clinging on to it. I get a lot of people through my door after two or three uh, years of trying to find investment, convinced they still have the great big idea. And I'm saying the reason you can find investment is you're clinging on to your baby. You're clinging on to something that won't actually get investment. You need to be brave enough to say, if I had one good idea, I'll have a second one. Building on that theme of the big test, Connor, uh, for a VC such as yours, you're always looking at market opportunity. How is this person going to win in their market? So what are you looking at that's maybe a little bit different to Nora? Yeah, well... 
a lot of the themes would ring similar, I think, um, Anya. I think, you know, it is all about the market opportunity, and that is fundamentally what investors will be focused on. Um, I think when we're, you know, post the idea phase for the founder, um, you know, they really need to think about how they want to develop their story, because that's what, that's what we're really interested in, them telling their story. And their story is the kind of, you know, the set of experiences in their career or otherwise that have brought them to this point in their lives where they want to go out on this journey. Um, and, and, and at that point, you want to bring in, bring in the market exposure. So the, the, the key pillars of your, of your story are really the team, the founding team and, and the market opportunity that you're presenting and how they fit together. So when we're, when we're in that early dialogue with potential founders, we're really testing them on how well do they know their market. And what do I mean by that? I mean, well, fundamentally, the market needs to be large or investor won't be interested. But it's, it's the nuanced understanding of the potential customers in the market, the pain points that they're experiencing. You know, what other tools are they using? How does your idea fit into that kind of ecosystem of products that they're already using? Are you replacing those products? Are you complementary to those products? And then how do those customers think about buying your solutions? You know, is it, you know, is, is it a short sales cycle at a low price point? Is it a much lar- larger sales cycle, a much larger problem, but at a, lo- um, but at a much larger um, price point? So all of those things we're, we're really testing um, when, we're, when we're discussing kind of the opportunity with founders at that point, um, which is fundamentally the most important thing, um, because what we're really doing is we're making a bet on that team um, at that particular point in time, not based on the market conditions today, but how that market will evolve over three, five, ten years, and how that team is able to adapt to those market conditions as that as that market evolves. Nora, when you were outlining the litany of things that people have to do before they then get to that question of, Nora, will you invest in me? So let's say you're thinking, yeah, it's a maybe, right? So they're going into this older folder of potential. I think to manage people's expectations, there's a lot of due diligence that then happens. Investment takes months sometimes. What are some of the key things then that you're looking for? Like you've done that initial big test and now you're into due diligence. So I think um, it is very different. So where you get your funding from is a really important, critical decision. Um, Firstly, I would just like to say, having given everybody all the homework and everything, I firmly believe that there is an entrepreneur in all of us. You know, I know the enduring, compelling format of Dragon's Den as everyone's on their armchair at home saying I could do that. And I I proved that with working with young women from the traveller community during that television documentary. I mean, one of them had 10 weeks schooling and she'd never learned to read or write. And I think over nine months of mentorship and coaching. And so I do believe that that anybody out there listening who can't get a job, you can be your own boss. It's just a discipline and you need to learn about it. So here you are at the funding stage. I would advise everyone against, we call them the three Fs, fools, family and friends. Never take money from them because it comes with an emotional attachment. I see so many people where families have been fallen apart and friends have split apart. So the reason it's emotional is the reason you ask them for the money to start with is because you were banking on the fact it would be an emotional gift because they weren't giving it to you because you had a robust plan. They were giving it to you because you were the son, nephew, niece, daughter, cousin. And secondly, every time you go out and, you know, buy a new car or go to the restaurant and you haven't given them a dividend, they'll be saying, there you are now, you know, not giving me. They're watching everything you do. They're interfering with your business. But the other two, I took money in my very first MBO. I took money from a bank. Very clean, very unemotional money. Um, The beauty of that for me is I knew my business very well. I didn't really want anyone interfering with it. I was confident I could make my returns and I could pay my uh, loans back every month. But the downside of that is it's unemotional money. 
you know, that's the downside. You don't go there with a whinge story telling them about everything that's happened to you and your family and your business because uh, banks are unemotional about that. You know, they'll just call it in and, you know, you need to accept that to start with. Somebody like me as an angel investor, I'm getting involved as much because I feel I can add value to the business. And you need to choose your angels very well. Some of them do know a great deal about things that, you know, I have an investment in a company um, under stairs storage, which came out of Dragon's Den. Best, absolutely best investment I ever made. And Paul Jacob is an engineer and I happen to be very good at marketing and finance and promotion. So we were a great partnership um, in terms of just that early journey towards growth. So choose your angel wisely. They do come with some uh, interference. They're not like um, VCs that might be a little bit more hands-off and aloof. Uh, We want to know everything about what's happening day to day. You know, maybe some of us a little less hands-on than others, but we are pretty integral to the business. And then, of course, if you happen to be somebody who has that fantastic big idea and as Connor's just said it, it's got scale and it has applicability to you and you're looking for significant amounts of money, you end up with a VC. And Connor, like, what's the success to failure ratio like? Like VCs have to take some risks. You play smart bets. So is there kind of a guiding principle of X number will not work out, but we'll have these lighthouse examples that are going to be moonshots and will work. So what does that kind of percentage look like? Yeah, no, you're dead right. Um, you know, almost by definition, startups, I mean, most startups will fail to some to some um, degree or form. I think, you know, from a VC perspective, we're building up a portfolio of very attractive, um, high caliber businesses. But ultimately, the ratios really look like, you know, and it changes a little bit over time and depends on your, your appetite as an investor. But really, we're looking at, you know, a third will, a third of your portfolio may end up just being complete complete failures and not because they weren't great ideas but something may have happened along the time or the timing just wasn't right for the idea um, and then you might have a, a set of portfolio um, part of your portfolio maybe another third that you know do quite well you know they had original thesis that maybe didn't work out exactly as a plan but they found a niche to um, to operate in to sell to and they can you know um, actually become quite profitable and good businesses but not quite the I suppose the moonshot or the the, the large scale outcome that VCs really are, are, are after uh, and then on the flip side, so it's really a third, a third, a third, and a third. If you're successful, you might have a third of your companies that really do, you know, execute on their thesis. Their thesis is proven, uh, and you start getting into really high growth mode, and then and then the opportunity is out there to be taken. Nor in this time of COVID, do you think that some of those rules and percentages Connor is talking about that it's all changed, changed utterly? And so, how do people need to maybe rewire their thinking when it comes to that ask of Will you invest in me? And that is the most critical. Um, issue at the moment. I mentor women and men, uh, mainly women all over the world. Yesterday we had a huge webinar from Delhi to Brussels to Africa to to Dublin, talking about how do you reimagine and repurpose your business. So not just in terms of startup or looking for initial venture, but I'm working with a woman, Bevan Mann, she won't mind me saying this because I've said it before. She has a very traditional business called Dental Tech in Ireland, so it has dental clinics and it has a manufacturing plant. And for want of a better word, it makes false teeth. So here comes the pandemic and her revenues go through the floor. She has huge numbers of clients in nursing homes. Of course, people aren't going to the dentist. So everything's falling apart. Over the course of the pandemic, we've been talking, talking, talking. She's got great advisors, great mentorship. So she's come up with a fantastic new plan for 3D technology, CAD drawing, creating dentures from digital um, from digital space where they fit better. You know, we've almost accepted that when we watch TV and we see those ads that dentures should never fit. Her whole thing is about, you know, 
having some dignity as you grow older. And secondly, it's a gazillion dollar business. It's not something that's going out of fashion. Most of us are still using orthodontics. And she's making it cheaper, faster, quicker. And before you'd have to have six visits to the dentist to do impressions and those old fashioned molds. Now it can be done with just two visits. And if you need a replica pair, quick as a flash, you can have it without having to go through the whole process again. So here's a great idea, a traditional business that out of the pandemic has repurposed, reimagined and is very, very attractive to investment. So it's been very easy to help Bevan to get to the next level. And she's revolutionising dentistry in Ireland along the way. So I think there is, uh, do you know what? Somebody said recently to me, digital is the answer. So what's the question? I actually think mentorship is the answer. So what's the question? So if you have good quality mentorship, working with businesses, working with early startups, you actually can get them over the line and keep them there and help them to grow their business. And maybe building on that, Connor, like what is the role of a VC when it comes to a little bit of mentorship, a little bit hands on, but yet letting founders, people with the ideas, just go hit the runway and go for it? That's it. Yeah, no, uh, a good in- investors come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, right? But my my idea of a good investor is in a, is in a kind of co-pilot, uh, co-driver role. A really good analogy that one of my colleagues makes is a, is a rally driver, where the, C- the CEO is the rally driver. He's heads down, he's looking at the road in front of him, he's trying not to fall off the, fall off the road and crash. While you might have the investor who's sitting beside him, he's reading from the script, he knows the plan, he knows what's up ahead, he knows three corners ahead. He's describing, you know, is it a hairpin bend? Is it a slight turn? You know, what, what what's to be expected and that and that kind of combination with you know good mentorship as as Nora mentioned as a kind of someone who's seen the journey a lot a lot a lot of times before uh, in multiple facets and then the combination of that with a CEO is incredibly driven incredibly talented can be very powerful but that's the kind of you know to use an analogy that's really the way it should work. So co-pilot mode Nora just leave us with final advice to people out there today thinking about the restart, thinking about pivoting their businesses, young people who realise the career trajectory that they had built for themselves isn't there, they've got to do something else. Yeah, lean into what you think you're great at. Everyone has something that they're great at. I think working with people all the way through the pandemic, almost all of them have been through almost the stages of grief. Now they're at this stage where they really do have to, if they're going to survive, and I talk to them about three-year plans, one year to um, to a vaccine, one year post-distribution you know, and one year post-COVID, um, I think that you really do need to sit down, find some great advice. You know, every single person I talk to that has managed to repurpose their business has had great advisors, great coaches. Reach out to somebody that you think will give you, you know, good, strong advice and a good steer. It's very lonely. It's very lonely out there for people who've lost their jobs, who are trying to think of new business ideas, very lonely for people who are business owners. Find somebody who will, you know, maybe be that co-pilot that, that Connor's talking about. And final advice from you, Connor. Be brave. Okay. Be brave. Yeah. Well said. OK, on that, thank you, businesswoman, publisher, broadcaster, Nora Casey, and investment associate with Act Ventures, Connor Mills. Coming up next, we hear from lots of our listeners who have been reigniting and turning those ideas into reality. Email reignite at rte.ie.